What's up, y'all? Welcome back to Dan Needs to Talk. I'm your host, Robert, and today, got some anime I've been catching up on, and lots of good manga to talk about. So let's get to it. Welcome to the show, everybody. So, hope everybody has had a good week, weekend, day, night, whatever the case is. Hope everybody's doing all right. Um, I'm doing pretty good myself this week on this episode. Um, I've had a few days to kind of do some catching up on some rest. Um, My wife and kids have been gone for a couple days, so I've gotten to have... A few days of uninterrupted sleep. So, <laughs> it was crazy. Um, I think, think everybody left kind of like Thursday, I believe. And so, when I got off of work Thursday, I came home and ended up, um, shoot, I think I, I think I ended up just chilling eating and then um going straight to sleep and I was out of there and then yeah and that's kind of been my thing the last couple of days because since you know with Vash and other kids gone I've kind of been able to be able to just rest without you know somebody coming and waking me up in the middle of the night or you know Saturday and Sunday you know having to get up early for any practices, any games, track meets, none of that stuff. So, rare occasion, I was able to just freaking shut everything down, put my phone on silent, which is something I rarely ever do, but put my phone on silent and just to sleep. And it's been so, 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 so much needed. Because, <laughs> you know, as I talk about a lot, you know, I've you know, and and any anybody that has been you know been watching your podcast feed, I've been pumping up the podcast like crazy, <laughs> which I'll get to in a minute. Um, you know, which hey, I'm doing it because I love doing it, but I'm also like, okay, I need to maybe like pace this stuff out a bit better. Um, because yeah, between that and then you know work and family life, or whatever, it gets pretty tiring and stuff. And so yeah, so I guess all that stuff finally caught up with me, but. Like I said, I've had a few days to kind of uh, rest and catch up on things. So, yeah, overall, I'm feeling good, feeling well rested and, you know, ready to conquer the podcast world. <laughs> so, you know, um, I've been reading, big surprise, reading a lot of manga, <laughs> as as I always do, Um Recording lots of podcast stuff, catching up on lots of shows and things. But um, but first, I just kind of want to just touch on, I'm not going to go into it too much because, you know, I'm not doing a music podcast, but I freaking wouldn't be me if I didn't at least mention, give a shout out. So freaking, 
midnight going into Friday, that's when J. Cole dropped his new album called The Off Season. Now, my original plan was I was just going to chill. Like, you know what? I'll just save this for when I'm going on my drive to work. But then the other part of it was like, Rob, you you can't go to sleep without at least sampling it. And I should have known better because there's no such thing as just sampling new music, especially when it's freaking J. Cole, an artist that I freaking have enjoyed for many, many, many years. But so, yeah, so here I am around midnight, listen to that first track and almost immediately <laughs> got sucked in. I was like, OK, got to listen to another. And the second one on the first listen through the second one was OK. But man, when I got to that third one titled My Life with J. Cole and 21 Savage. That put like an extra like, little fire under me. Next thing I know, I'm up from midnight to one, listening to this whole album, doing the kitchen, hitting me up a damn pizza. And I was jamming that sucker all freaking day. You know, I listened to it through once and then I put it on repeat as I fell asleep. Woke up that morning, listened to it as I was getting ready for work, listened to it on my ride to work. And then I was watching, um, some uh, No Life Shack, his live reaction, listening to the album and stuff as well when I was at work. So yeah, so yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. And then to top it off, you know, found out this later on in the day. Uh, so Nicki Minaj dropped a new album. You know, I, I've enjoyed some of Nicki's music, but at the same time, I'm not, you know, not going to be first down, listen to whatever, but was seeing talks about some new collab song she did with Drake and Lil Wayne. So I listened to it. It's called Seeing Green. And man, that song gave me the same vibes as some music that I would have been listening to back when we was in, back in the day, coming out and warming up to for basketball or something. Because like when I first listened to that a bit Friday night and especially like majority like several times throughout the day Saturday when I was doing chores and doing laundry and stuff man I had an extra pep in my step felt like I was man that song had me lit like I was about to freaking go take one of my kids basketballs go find a court and go shooting or something because man that that's how hyped that seeing green had me so so yes yeah, so between that because because that seeing green with Lil Wayne Nicki Minaj and Drake that was like some classic vibes of them back in old days. Like my best friend DJ said, like back when we was in freaking high school 08 era, when them three was kind of first collabing and stuff. Like it was that type of vibe, but you know, just them present day. And it's like all three of them at the top of their freaking game. And yeah, it was just freaking awesome. So yeah, between that and the J Cole album. Yeah. I just been rocking music all freaking weekend. So, but anywho, um, so, so kind of moving on from there, um, I guess, I guess, you know, kind of want to give a little shout out, um, to a old friend of mine, um, and I'll just say Miss Kelly, <laughs> cause, uh, so I ha have an old friend that I've known for many years, used to work to work with, I mean, long time ago, 
and hit me up and let me know that she's listening as she's been traveling on a little road adventure. So just want to give a little shout out to say thanks, Kelly, for tuning in and listening. Um, much love to you and be safe on your little on your journey, your adventures across the across the country. So, yeah. So, anywho, a um, little bit of housekeeping. Uh, as I've mentioned, and in case you didn't see all the stuff in your podcast feed, I've been cranking them out. So I had finished up season one of the DuckTales remake. So did an episode on that. Freaking that show has been a very wholesome and welcoming surprise for me. So yeah, so check that out. Um, back on Tokyo Revengers manga. Um, I think I did chapters 52 to 116 in that last one. And I've, of course, read past that. I think I'm like in the chapter. I'm like in the 130s now, but I'll get to that at some point in the coming weeks. And then I also did a bonus episode of a new manga called Chojin X. And it's the new manga from the Tokyo Ghoul creator, um, Ishida. So, yeah, so that... That one kind of dropped out of nowhere to where it was like freaking Monday. I was at work and saw an alert. They're like, hey, Creative Tokyo Ghoul dropped a new manga. So me up here at work, I go out to my freaking car after I read it. And it was like 70 something pages. I go out to my car and like, okay, got to do a little emergency podcast on this. So, so yeah, so that's out. And then coming up later this week. I, I had finished this morning reading um, the uh, 20th Century Boys Perfect Edition Volume 2. So I finished that up and I recorded that, but that's going to come out on Wednesday. So I, th- I think I'm going to try to, like I said, try to pace out some of my stuff because I'd be excited to, you know, talk and get stuff out there. But at the same time, I also, you know, and granted, maybe I don't feel this way, but for me, I'm like, I also don't want to make sure I don't feel like I'm like, putting out too much stuff and like overwhelming. It's like, God dog, like you gotta, y'all got to turn off y'all notifications cause Robert dropping too much content. But Hey, you know, it is what it is. Cause all, cause it's the same, at the same time too, it's like, you know, you see something new come in and it's like, ah, I'm not interested in it. So you just keep going. So that's kind of other, the other way I look at it too is like, I know I do kind of be pumping out a lot of episodes and stuff throughout the weeks. Um, especially recently, but, you know, I know I've spoken to some of y'all and it's like, hey, you kind of pick and choose and listen to stuff that interests you as it comes in. So, so yeah, so, but like I said, I'll, I'll try to do a little bit better about that and stuff. So, um, yeah, um, and I guess the kind of like last little thing I want to just touch on um, outside of the housekeeping, just general discussion is that I have really loved and enjoyed getting to meet connect with network with a lot of other podcasters and stuff out there um over the last couple of months since i've been doing this so we just crossed our uh two-month anniversary of me doing this and so like we're going strong and like i said we just steadily growing every week and like i said getting to meet and connect with a lot of people in a lot of different circles and we coming together, collaborating, sharing information, helping each other out. It's been very awesome, very beautiful to see. 
But, um, but yeah, so I think that's pretty much it for stuff I need to just talk about here up at the top. Um, let me see, I'm kind of looking around, looking, looking, looking. Um, yeah, I think that's it, you know. I guess the only other thing I could just kind of touch on briefly is the, because uh, I can't remember if I ever talked about this on the podcast or not, but like a few months back, um, after all my family stuff, or whatever, when my kids were gone to my in-laws while, you know, I was dealing with, you know, loss of my mom and stuff, you know, the kids had brought back another cat <laughs> and we didn't know at the time, but the cat was pregnant. And so two weeks ago, she finally had her kittens. And so, um, any of y'all that follow me on my personal Twitter, mastermind Rob seven, probably seen me post pictures recently or whatever. So little cute little fur balls and so they turned two weeks yesterday and majority of them are now starting to finally open up their eyes and stuff so but yeah like i said just, just you know want to share some little uh cute kitty <laughs> content <laughs> i guess if you can call it that but um so yeah so i'm gonna have them little suckers running around the house soon because they you know wiggling and squirming around so probably in the next by the end of the month, I expect them to be mobile. So, ugh, be freaking kittens stuck in weird places, hiding behind beds, cabinets, and who knows where else. So, so yeah. So, um, all right. So we're gonna take a quick little break. Then we'll come back and jump into some uh, what I've been up to this week. So, jumping into some anime. So. Just finished watching the newest episode of Megalobox Season 2, Nomad, um, Episode 7. And so, pretty much this episode kind of shifts focus a little bit to where we go over to, uh, what's his name, Yuri, and his new protege, um, I think his name was Liu, or something of that nature. And so kind of following them a little bit and basically they're doing an interview for his upcoming title match and one of the uh I can't think of his name the little kid of Joe's group that's now a reporter kind of goes to to do an interview and kind of basically puts a little word in his ear that hey Joe's back in town and stuff like that it kind of like stokes some fires there and so that eventually um leads to um Liu wanted to do a rematch with Joe because he felt like he didn't fight Joe at his best and so he just kinda had he feels like that's like a lingering shadow hovering him no matter how many matches he's won. That's like a constant thing in the back of his mind of like, okay, I didn't beat Joe at his best or whatever. And so so he ends up talking Joe into basically doing like a little quick sparring match with him. And so during this match, the uh, the reporter kid and then the kid that had the restaurant, they're hiding in the back recording it. Um, and it later gets out and it becomes a little small news story and stuff. But that fight between Joe and Liu was freaking awesome. Like I, I remember uh, somebody a while back that I follow on Twitter, another podcast, they had made like a comment of like, what are some of like your favorite like uh sounding anime or whatever like sounds from anime something like that and 
Megalobox Box definitely like they do so good with the sound effects because you know from like the when they begin like the body show body blows and stuff from the punches to where when they're swinging and you just hear like the you know like the fists whizzing by each person's head and stuff um yeah it, it was some good stuff and then like you know when they were kind of sparring at first with all the gear and stuff on and then old dude hit joe with a good you know shot to the side and then eventually, you know, at first Yuri's about to call off the the spar match. He's like, "Hey, all right, let's let's calm it down." And then his, the other trainer dude is like, "No, look at his eyes." And it's saw that Joe had like a fire in his eyes, and so they ended up uh, letting the match continue. And Joe takes off his gear, and then um, the other guy looks at Yuri, and Yuri's like, "You already know. If you don't do the same, you'll regret it." Um, Cause that's what Yuri did. Yuri ended up, you know, fighting Joe with his gear and stuff off too back in the day. But um, but yeah, like them two going at it and like it just looks so good. Just like them, just like blow for blow, bobbing and weaving. Um, true spectacle and just like one of those things. Like okay, yes, yes, yes. Love like Megalobox does so good with the fight choreography and all that stuff. But um, but yeah, so. They end up doing that, and the match pretty much stops because freaking kids in the back, you know, blow their cover because one of them, get, they get so into it that they trip and fall, and they end up escaping. Like I said, they come out with a little newspaper article, but then um, pretty much, you know, the episode ends with, you know, the start of the championship match between um, uh, Liu and the other fighter. Shoot, I can't remember what his name is. Yeah, but um, and, and oh, and this is also and so like the story of this other fighter dude is like very interesting because he was a former boxer that had that was like super well, you know, unknown total nobody back in the day, and he had anger issues, so he'd always lose his temper and stuff. So his wins and losses were just like even because he would win, lose, win, lose, win, lose, and then eventually. He ended up, you know, quitting and then become a, a police officer. And then basically during some incident, he ends up, you know, he saves a bunch of people, but he ends up getting shot and hitting his spine and then he becomes paralyzed. And then over time, this young um, entrepreneur dude comes up with this like crazy technology and starts working with him to rehabilitate him and basically comes up with this stuff to kind of help people you know like get their vision back their hearing mobility from paralysis all this stuff and then he ends up teaming up with uh i think i think the company's name is shiraco or something like that it was the big tech company that was behind yuri in the first season of megalo box so that lady ceo working with this new dude and so yeah and then we see her brother show up at the very end of the episode but um but yeah, so things are kind of cooking and brewing, and then we see as this uh, as the new dude comes walking out to the ring, he looks over to the side and he just makes eye contact with Joe, and that's where the episode ends. So, so yeah, so I I expect by the end of this season, we're gonna see Joe back on the main stage again, and that's gonna be glorious to see. But but yeah, once again, just another really good episode of a uh, Megalobox Nomad. So. Yeah, good stuff.
So next up, I ended up uh, finally, after being like three episodes behind, finally caught up on To Your Eternity. So I had watched episodes three through, uh, three through five. So I figured, I was like, you know what? I finally have all this free time. Let me start knocking out some of the stuff that I'm like weeks behind on. So yeah, so, you know, I, I was a little worried. You know, of course, like watching this show, this, like three episodes in a row because of how, you know, potentially sad it could be. And overall, I was okay. You know, it didn't hit me too, too hard, but it was still, you know, just some crazy moments, some sad moments and stuff, you know. So, you know, we continue with um, the little girl March with, um, I don't even know what we call the main character. I, I guess, you know, March nicknamed him um, or it because it doesn't really have a gender because it's like some, you know, otherworldly being thing. But basically named it, I think it was like Fuchan. Or something like that. Basically, whatever it was stands for immortal. But um, but yeah, so they continue their little adventure of, you know, her trying to teach the being, I guess is what I'll call it, you know, how to like try to eat properly and all this stuff. But you know, she and you know the uh, soldiers from the other country end up finding her, taking her back, and. The immortal being ends up following them along, and then kind of cut over to the other young lady that was uh, there was March's kind of like guardian slash babysitter, and the group that has her captured, this freaking gigantic bear with all these spears and arrows stuck in its side appears out of no one, just starts to demolishing people and stuff, and so. So, yeah, so she ends up getting away and then we end up falling back over to where March is about to get basically taken to the place for the for the sacrifice thing. And so as the people you know, have tied her down on a little stone on the altar thing, um, the mortal being walks in there um, because the bear followed in there too. And so... The mortal being starts fighting <laughs> the bear, and all these people are watching in disbelief as this freaking thing goes from looking like a person that got his head bit off by the bear to transforming back into the wolf. This wolf that keeps on like regenerating, fighting this giant bear, and eventually taking down the bear. But that whole thing was just freaking crazy and wild watching that and then you know all of them getting captured and when I mean March the mortal being and then the other the other young lady end up getting captured and taken prisoner cause you know they're gonna try to use the immortal being for who knows what um, after seeing what it can potentially do and so they're being held in this prison and so over the course of like some days March and the older chick work together and they end up breaking out and, <clears throat> and stuff. And then during their, when they're trying to make their escape in the, in the wagon or whatever, there's a freaking moment where pretty much March more or less sacrifices herself. She jumps in front of an incoming arrow and 
the freaking immortal being freaking flips out and turns into the giant bear <laughs> and then freaking just starts destroying everybody there and I don't know it, it's, it's just like so crazy trying to like talking about this thing but but yeah it was just kind of crazy just overall just watching like I said just that whole thing go down over these few episodes of uh and, and I guess the way they worked, the, the way the episodes flowed together kind of worked out for the best that I did binge them all together because they kind of started and ended this whole little mini arc. But, but yeah, it, it was just like so many points in there to where it was kind of, you know, small happy moments, but also sad moments because it was a moment where, you know, they take everybody shopping and march them, come across this guy that basically writes letters and send them to your family or whatever. But this is when we start learning, like, you know, when the guy's like, all right, so here's your pen and paper. Marsh doesn't know how to write. So he's like, okay, well, hey, just tell me what you want to say. And I'll send it. And she says, wants to send a message to her parents. And so the guy writes down what she wants to say. And he's like, all right, so where am I sending this to? And she's like, oh, to mommy and daddy. And he's like, I get that, but where are they? And she's like, uh, I don't know. Nobody knows because their whole culture doesn't know really how to read and write. And she has no grasp of location and stuff. And so it's like, okay, even if he gets it to the right area, you know, it's like, okay, like where exactly in that village or whatever are your parents? So, yeah, so like I said, just kind of sad just seeing that little part or whatever. Like, man, you know, they really are kind of helpless because it's like, they can't even get word back to their families and stuff. But anywho, you know, things go on. And then, uh, yeah, it, it's like I said, it's just that kind of just those sad moments of, you know, the March dying and then the aftermath of that. And then it's just kind of like that sweet, somber thing at the very end where, you know, the young lady and the mortal being make it back to March's family and the other village comes up to try to hunt them and stuff. And so the immortal being ends up getting away. But yeah, it was just kind of just sad, like watching at the very end where the mortal being just kind of wandering through the woods. And then the last shot we get of that final, of that last episode was him turning into March and then wandering off. So yeah. Oh, and then the other thing too was like them or the immortal being starting to learn emotions and feelings and how to speak a little bit and learning to say thank you and it hurts and yeah, it, it's just wild. So, so yeah, so to your eternity, you know, good stuff. Um, I don't know. I, I might end up maybe letting a couple episodes build up again. I don't know, but we'll we'll see with this one all right so i have also caught up with dragon quest the adventures of die i watched episodes 29 to 32 so now i'm caught back up and once again if you're not watching dragon quest adventures of die you are sleeping on a freaking awesome show um like i mentioned plenty of times before on the podcast i am you know, I have no strong feel or connection towards any of the Dragon Quest games, but 
this series has been freaking great. Um, and the main things is like the visuals look awesome, top notch. Um, of course, the kind of like video game CG stuff can kind of throw you off here and there, but they don't do it too, too often. But that, along with the bonds of these characters, so you know, these episodes, you know, continue through basically Baron versus Die, father versus son, and just seeing everything from, you know, Baron transforming to his dragonoid form, basically like the ultimate form of a dragon knight, and him going through just like demolishing everybody, freaking putting a damn hole through Crocodile's chest, destroying Hillkill, um, slapping over, slapping away Princess Leona, all that stuff was freaking wild to see. And yeah, just the fact of like, hey, like yet to now, this dude has just been playing around this whole time. And when he does that freaking basically like a damn Kamehameha wave where because, you know, like in his, in his dragonoid form, he has like all these different like body parts and stuff that looks like like dragon hands and dragon eyes and stuff, whatever. Well, so because his hands look like two halves of like a dragon's mouth he clasps his hand together and he shoots this beam um, I think it's called like like, like the Dodoro beam or some whatever but basically it looks like a freaking dragon like Kaido <laughs> shooting a damn energy beam and that stuff was wild just like watching him doing that multiple times but freaking pop once again just, just you know kind of reminds me of like Usopp in one piece of like okay this character seems like he's a freaking coward it's like what the hell are you good for but it's like when the chips are down and it's like okay hey do or die pop is gonna have your back and so you know, we've seen Pop do some crazy techniques and stuff, trying to hold off all these different characters and stuff. And yeah, it was just freaking just wild. Like freaking Pop ends up basically doing the same sacrifice technique that Avon used back in like like the first episode, second episode of the series. Where he basically transforms his, transforms his life energy into an attack. And so just seeing him like sneak up on Baron and just like implant his fingers into his freaking skull and just grip. And in that final moment, you know, he's kind of thinking back on everything. And of course, at this point, you know, Dai still has all his memories lost. And... Yeah, he does the move, freaking big sacrifice attack. And in this moment, that's what reawakens freaking dies memories. And he comes back too. And then this is when the freaking, the real fight like truly, truly kicks off. And so, of course, Baran ended up shaking off Pop at the last second. So Pop died, seemingly died 
you know, in vain. And Baron tries to basically tries to immediately go to erase Dive's memories again. So he activates the Dragon Quest, the Dragon Crest on him and Dive's forehead to try to erase his memories. But somehow, freaking Die learned to freaking move the Dragon Quest from his head to his damn fist and like knocks the crap out of Baron. And so that's how Die starts to kind of level the playing field. It's like, okay, hey, he has, you know, put the crest on his hand so now he can focus most of more of his energy into his attacks. And like I said, it just leads to like several episodes just back to back to back of just these two father and son die and Baron just going back and forth, blow for blow, freaking what was it actually <laughs> going back a bit like before, like back when all this stuff was kind of first starting off when Baron first transformed into his dragonoid form and so everybody immediately knew like hey right, yep we, we ain't gonna be able to do, not, do nothing with this dude now they tell Pop to go to uh, die inside the castle and freaking when Pop tried to run and move Freaking um, Baron just laser beam from his freaking forehead just straight through Pop's arm. <laughs> and he basically was like, yo, I ain't fucking around no more, man. It's like, hey, sit your ass down. I ain't playing no more games. And he's like, when I'm in this form, I pretty much move to kill. And and so, yeah, so we saw that freaking a couple more times. Like I said, he freaking put the damn hole through Crocodile's chest, which... It's freaking funny because I was watching the King of Lightning's reactions to a lot of these episodes. And it was just like, kept popping up many times from him in the chat of just like, how is Crocodile still alive and talking? Because stuff would be going on. And the Crocodile was like, oh, what? I don't believe it. And it's like, dude, like, you, your whole your whole chest is gone. Like, how are you still talking? But, uh, but yeah, man, it was just freaking, this whole back and forth was so wild. And, you know, people getting held up a little bit to try to help um, Princess Princess Leona attempts this revival spell. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but basically like this revival spell to where basically it's like a less than 50% chance that it might work to try to bring back Pop. Well, she's not able to revive Pop, but the... Uh, the little golden slime that was what died through the whole series was knocked out next to Pop because he tried to, the little slime tried to go up and talk crap to Baron. Baron just smacked his little ass back down and he was knocked out next to Pop. Well, the spell did something to the little slime to where it basically appeared next to Pop in the afterlife and was talking to him, talking to him and basically just being like, hey, you know, you can't leave. If you keep going that way, you're going to go to the afterlife, so on and so forth. And so, you know, while that's going on, Hyokyul and Crocodile got held enough to where uh, Hyokyul had Crocodile tie up, toss him up into the sky where Dai and Baron was fighting. And basically, it was just it was just a distraction to get him close enough to toss his sword to die, to kind of even the fight a little bit. 
But um, but during that conversation, like I said, in the afterlife or whatever, Pop sends out one final spell attack from the afterlife that's enough to distract um, Baron for Die to come in with a final, like a Von Strash attack. And so Baron getting hit last second kind of reminds me of uh, during the uh, the end of the Cell games in Dragon Ball Z where, you know, they had, you know, Gohan is doing the father-son Kamehameha, but they're still kind of getting pushed back a little bit from Cell. And then I think it was, was it Vegeta? Was it Yamcha? I kind of I think it was Vegeta, but whoever it was that did that like that like last second like blast that was just enough to throw Cell off a little bit to where Gohan could Gohan could finish him off or whatever. That's pretty much what happened with this was that attack from Pop was just enough to give Die an opening uh, attack to attack. And so, yeah, so Die goes in and, yeah, hit, hits hits uh, Baron with the big attack. And so they both go flying and, you know, when Die comes up or whatever, you know, they reveal that, you know, Pop was still dead. He did not come back alive. They don't know how to explain, like, how he did that last attack, but, hey, he is dead. Then Baron shows up back in his human form and basically, you know, basically tells Dai that, like, hey, I'm not going to change my ways. You know, we will fight again. But basically, it's like a somewhat of a goodwill gesture. I guess you can call it or whatever. He drips some of his, like, dragon blood or whatever, dragonoid blood or whatever. Or Dragonite blood into Pop onto Pop's mouth and it's enough to like don't know how or why but it's enough to bring Pop back because his heart start his heart restarts a bit but um and then as Barana's walking away you know he's telling Dad to like hey you know he's like I'm not gonna call you Dino I'm gonna call you Die but he basically is like I'm basically acknowledging Die you know, like, hey, basically, like, live your life, do what you want to do. But once I've repaired my sword and I've healed up, I will come back because there cannot be two of us. There cannot be two Dragonites in the same era at the same time. So one of us got to go. And so he pretty much tells everybody, like, like hey, no, like, nope, he is not going back to the Dark Army. He don't care about them. So... You know, he's going out to do his own thing, but he's basically just saying, like, I will return. So, yeah. And then we kind of end things off with the Dark Army. Um, And I think it's a Vern, the Dark Lord, summons. Um, What's his name? Hemdal, whatever the, the leader is, whatever. Hemdal, whatever, summons him into his chamber. And basically says that, hey, I give, you know, basically like three attempts, you know, before a failure. 
and then he counts down. Basically, he's like, you know, he messed up when, basically when Crocodile and that territory fell, when Heokyo and that territory fell, and then now with Baron and his area falling. But he's giving him one more because he is going to credit him for killing Avon a while back. So he's like, you have one more chance to fix this and then you're done. And so, you know, he, he makes a point of like basically that Baron, at least at the time, was the only person that could feasibly stand in his way power wise and that it was not easy getting him to come under his fold but now Baron's out there doing whatever he does and he's not gonna come back so so yeah so we definitely gonna see uh, how this stuff is gonna shake out like I said these are some freaking fantastic episodes just like yeah it was like Dai versus Baron and like the whole squad coming through doing their parts Crocodile Hyokyo Pop Freaking Princess Leona, everybody pulling through, doing their thing, man. Yeah, Dragon Quest, check it out. So, going to jump into some Dr. Stone. So, we got Dr. Stone, manga chapter 196, titled Scientist All Alone. And so, man, before I go through the breakdown and play-by-play and stuff, Overall, this was a freaking another fantastic chapter. Just seeing Suika's journey was just so good. So, we pretty much opened up the chapter with this like beautiful color spread of Suika standing in front of all the stone statues and stuff. As it's saying, you know, Suika's all alone in the world now. But a little science should be able to revive everyone. Sweek is going to do her best, just like Senku always has, as we see her write the freaking E equals MC squared across her little uh, cape gown theme as we get into the chapter. And we pretty much have, you know, Suika looking through the notes for the revival fluid recipe. And, you know, she's talking about, you know, Writing, what a neat thing. This lets Suika, this lets Senku tell Suika all the details about the tricky science stuff. And it's like, good thing Suika studied so hard and learned how to read. And then, you know, she has this little cute panel of her with some little dizzy eyes. And she's like, but still, reading and understanding are different things. And so, yeah, we kind of get like a little glimpse of like Senku's notes talking about the the Ostwar process, the electrical arc method. <laughs> and then, you know, she's like, okay, the the revival fluid needs some kind of acid, nitric acid. Looks like there are three different ways to make it, but eh, not option three. Can't be that one. Besides, it says option three takes a long time and Suica can't wait that long to see everybody again. So it's going to, so it's going to be, Option one or two. So let's rip option three out and put it back where it came from. She puts it back in Senku's little uh, pocket or whatever. And then she's like, Suika's going to work real hard on Suika's first science project. 
The directions don't make any sense, but Suica is just going to follow them. It's going to work. And we see her just like trying all these things with the different chemicals and stuff. And she freaking electrocutes herself when she's putting these machines together. And then she's like, you know, you guys were always doing tricky projects like this, huh? It's all just too much. Definitely too hard for Suica. Suica can't be helpful after all. After all, And so she's she finds another note in Suica's clothing. And she's like, wait, Suica ignored option three. But even if, even if it takes a long time, this might be the only way. And then we get this freaking panel of just like a giant pile of poop. And it's like material poop. And she is this freaking just crazy scrunched up face as we see her like sitting, chilling in the bushes waiting for this like little weird, I don't know why I'm saying wallaby. I don't even know what a wallaby is, but that's what comes to mind when I see this weird looking creature thing pooping out some stuff. And then Suica scoops it up in a pot, just all, uh, you know, freaked out and stuff. And then she's like, this poop isn't enough at all. What other poop is there? Suica's? And she's like, no, no, no. <laughs> and she notices a bunch of birds flying over. And she notices that all the birds are landing on this little island called Waterflow. Waterfowl Island. And it's a freaking giant rock. Dis- disgustingly covered in freaking bird poop. And so Suica just scoops up a bunch of it. And... She makes a nitric acid field. So basically she's just like planting all this literal crap in the ground. And she's reading the instructions and she's like, okay, mix poop with the ashes of burnt vegetation and bury the mixture for a year. A whole year? That's too long. The method Suica chose was actually the traditional one used in the Sengoku period in Japan along with other places. The goal seems so very far off, but following every step, one at a time, leads to success, such as the path of science. And then, so yeah, then she continues on, you know, next, burning seashells. And she's seeing all these, like, scientific equations, just only using the uh, the scientific words or elements for everything, not the actual, like, what it is. And so she's just like, it's so easy to lose track of what's going on. Uh, Suika should draw one of those things the same way Senku and Chrome always do. And so on this giant leaf, she basically draws this like diagram that we've seen all throughout the series of like the starting point and the goal and everything that's needed in between. And so there's such a just a cute little panel of her with, okay, she needs straw, some water, fire, shells, sake, alcohol, Sophirid, and it's just like everything like half misspelled and stuff but it's just so freaking cute and she's like just pouring it on the stuff and so she's just continuing you know gathering supplies and stuff and she's just like just have to keep testing and she's like even if a whole year of work ends in failure over and over again and so time passes as we see Senku still counting, and he says in his mind, that's 
236,109,750 seconds. And as he's counting, we see a panel of some some fluid dripping and his eye, the stone around his eye cracking, and we see a older looking Suica staring at him as he awakens and she's like, sorry to wake, sorry to wake you, sorry to make you wait so long. You might not even recognize me anymore. And then Senku's like, you sure? You sure made yourself useful, Suica. As we get this awesome panel that looks like Senku smashing through the stone with this badass new, I don't know how he comes out of the stone with the badass new black cape, but hey, let's rock with it. And yeah. You see Suika, older Suika now, you know, hugging and crying as she embraces Senku and saying, it's only been seven years, huh? And then, uh, or Senku says, it's only been seven years, huh? You worked quick. And so, yeah, we have success, finally. Um, and it happened a little bit quicker than I, than I thought, because I thought it was going to be like a chapter 200. Or, no, 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 chapter, uh, wait, yeah, yeah, chapter 200, but... Yeah, like I said, just very awesome to see, you know, freaking older Suica. Um, don't know how old she is now because honestly, didn't, didn't even know how old she was before. But I would guess mid to late teens because it's been seven years minimum. And I would guess she was at least 10, maybe 12. I don't know. So maybe we'll probably get like a definitive answer soon. But um but yeah, freaking Suica put in seven years of hard work, worked her ass off, and she freaking got Senku back. So yeah, man, it, that was so, so awesome to freaking see that. Um, yeah, she freaking worked her butt off and got Senku brought back from the freaking jaws of death, might as well say. But, um, yeah, definitely very excited to see, you know, where things go from here um, as we, you know, begin to revive everybody and stuff. So, but, yeah, Dr. Stone, 196, Suica, MVP again. Let's see. Next up, we got One Piece manga chapter 1013 titled Anarchy in the BM, Big Mom. <laughs> And on the cover page, we have Sanji looking at a shark that looks like Zoro. So we have this freaking shark that's got three swords and Zoro's little like sash belt thing. And it's like Sanji envisioning how he'll cook up a shark that looks like Zoro. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. Um, oh, just not notice Zoro freaking sleeping in the background. But, uh, but yeah, so we kind of pick things up with, you know... Nami about to fight Alti as, you know, Alti starts charging towards Nami as Nami hits her with a tornado tempo. And right when Alti's about to hit Nami with the freaking big headbutt, Big Mom out of nowhere summons Napoleon, Prometheus, and new recruit or new homie. Hera, all three of them combined to make a Mazer cannon. And so basically it's like Prometheus inside or 
Napoleon inside of Prometheus's mouth, and then Hera kind of coating all of it, and it just shoots this freaking crazy laser beam thing, thing like right through Alti's abdomen, and takes her out. And so that was freaking ridiculous, freaking giant explosion. Alti's down on the ground, and and yeah, and so. You know, we have uh, Prometheus talking like, yeah, guys, yeah, we did an awesome combo attack and all that stuff. And so as Nami, Usopp are trying to run away with Tama, you know, they see Zeus in the sideline. Zeus sees this new chick, like, who is this? Hanging out with, Promethe- with the Prometheus and Napoleon as they're all talking about, yeah, we could have never done an, a, a combo attack like that with that, you know, with that lazy Zeus. And so... Uh, Zeus feels all sad and he looks at Nami with happiness and she kind of just like, hmm, you know, shrugs him off and keeps going and he feels super sad and then Big Mom is like, oh, hey, there you are, Zeus. And so basically Big Mom tells Zeus to offer himself up to Hera so Hera can eat Zeus to become stronger. And so it's kind of weird and crazy seeing a cloud trying to eat another cloud. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but um but yeah so there Hera's freaking trying to attack Zeus and then we see Big Mom snatch Tama away from from Usopp saying that she'll be safer with Big Mom and then freaking uh Zeus going on crying trying to apologize to Nami and then he said and then he does something to try to like give them a chance to get away and he ends up getting or helping to get Tama back to Nami them. But as soon as he does that, freaking Big Mom just snatches his soul right out of the, right out of him and pretty much feeds him to Hera. So now Hera has consumed Zeus. And so those three are trying to run away. And as Big Mom is about to hit them with an attack, freaking Kid comes in with the punk Gibson and slams Big Mom. But of course, she freaking bounces right back up. And so now, you know, Kid's about to face off against Big Mom. And then we cut over to the end of the chapter. As we see freaking, you know, Roof of the Skull Dome. As we get a panel of basically Kaido talking, saying, That outcome was obvious. You gained a powerful weapon and let it go to your head, boy. Human beings don't ever give up. No, they can't give up hope. That's the problem. It's been a long time since I got worked up like this. I failed. I should have simply cut your head off and announced my victory to everyone because now they'll keep believing that you're going to win, won't they? As we see uh, Luffy's body unconscious falling off of Onigashima, not just off of the skull dome, like the whole floating island, Luffy's just like flying off. So, yeah, things ain't looking good for our boy Luffy. Um, you know, in this, in the context of power and stuff, whatever, not too surprising. But story-wise, it's like, oh, very surprising that you know he got taken out again. Um, but I guess it's also a good thing. Like, okay, hey, this shows that hey. 
Luffy wasn't just going to do an ass pull and just, oh, hey, got a little power up. Now I'm going to go, you know, take down Kaido, one of the strongest creatures in the whole series. So, yeah, I am very curious of uh, where that is going to go because, you know, like I said, things ain't looking too good for our boy Luffy. But, uh, yeah, One Piece 10, 13, and uh, unfortunately, we're on break next week. But, hey, it is what it is. Kaiju number eight, chapter 33. And so we start off with this cool cover page of, shoot, I can't even remember that freaking girl's name. I think it's Mina um, with the freaking white tiger. And so we start off with uh, some guys talking, saying, Kaiju number eight, I never would have dreamed a Kaiju had infiltrated the defense force, let alone a Dai Kaiju class one. We must deal with him ASAP. What do we tell the press? We ought to keep this under wraps as we deal with Kaiju number nine. I also hear a certain country is experimenting with Kaiju to human tissue transplants. They would insist on having a say in this. And so pretty much it's a bunch of like high level officials for the, um, the defense force. As we continue on seeing a bunch of other, like older dudes, you no know, one of them saying, no, we should quickly dispose of him in secret and convert him into a weapon. Shouldn't we consider using him as a biological weapon first? This desktop prattle is getting us nowhere. Action will come after we take him in. I'm ordering the third division to hand Kaiju number eight over to us as we meet the top dog, director, uh, director general of the defense force, Iso Shinomiya. So we switch over and we see Kafka, you know, locked up in captivity. And yeah, as uh, you know, he kind of flashes back to when he got captured and stuff. Um, he, you know, wondering what's going to happen to him. <laughs> as he thinks about that, the girl telling him, like, you know, nearly all powerful kaiju are used as parts for special weapons. Worst case, you might suffer the same fate. And so he's like, just when I thought I'd finally gotten one step closer to being by her side, I wonder if Mina's mad at me. As the door starts to open to the area where he's locked up at, her voice say it's time. And Mina walks in with a couple of guards saying, you're being transferred to HQ's facilities. And then, you know, as they're walking off, um, a lot of their division is standing out there waiting for them. And so... You know, Kafka's thinking, crap, I can't look them in the eyes. I wind up betraying um, Ichikawa, too. He's been looking out for me this whole time. I can't forgive. I bet he can't forgive what I've done. I'm sorry. This time, it really is the end for, as we hear somebody saying, Sir, I have faith that you will come back. As the doors close, as uh. You know, Mina says that damn Ichikawa, he'll get 50 push-ups for his outburst. And then she says, when you dashed in to save the base without a moment's hesitation, I was shocked to see you as a kaiju, but I also thought this is such a Kafka move. We have testimony and footage to vouch for you. If we can prove that you're a human, there's a chance you can escape disposal. 
We're also going to report all of your deeds as an officer as well. In the third division, not a single person considers you a kaiju threat. And that, you know, hits Kafka really hard, you know. And so, you know, so basically Kafka does, I mean, uh, Mina does her duties where she has to read out, you know, Kafka Hibono, based on Article 13 of, of the Defense Force Regulations, we are transferring you to the Ariake Maritime Base. To ensure safety on the way, we have, and he cuts her off saying, Mina, can I still strive for a place by your side? And she says, sure, I'll be waiting with a little smile on her face. And we arrive at the base as Kafka is locked away. And we see Kaiju number eight is now contained. Episode four. Kaiju number eight captured. So, yeah, I wonder what fate is going to go on from here. What arguments are going to be made for and against him. But, yeah, we'll see where this goes. But, yeah, like I said, I know Kafka is just really happy to see and hear that his whole team, his whole squad support him. They have his back fully, unquestionably, without question and without doubt. His whole team supports him. So that was very good and very cool of him to see and hear. So, yeah, it's Kaiju number eight, chapter 33. So, My Hero Academia, manga chapter 312, titled Hired Gun. So, this chapter we start off with Hawks kind of flashing back, or this is a flashback when Hawks and Deku was talking. Um, as Hawks is saying, you know, you should be fine since, you, since you've got one for all on your side. But I've got one concern. All for one and Shigaraki aren't at the stage where they can steal one for all yet. And with Doc Garaki out of the picture, they don't have the tech to preserve fresh quirk factors. So the villain's best option is to take you alive. That's a tall order for most of the escape convicts except for one woman who's fresh out of Tartarus. See, she's actually a former senior colleague of mine. Hunting her down is one of my top priorities, but if she's the one who comes for you, drop everything and run. And so we come back to the present day as Deku's looking at everything's like ammunition made of pink and blue fibers. Yeah, it's her. A former hero employed by the Safety Commission, Lady Nagant. As we see her pose over the freaking, freaking super cool sniper rifle arm. As she fires off another crazy shot. As Deku is like swinging around the city with Black Whip. Um, As Deku says, she destroyed my secure line. All Might and Hawks will realize that something's been um, that something's amiss, but I've got no way to tell them that it's Lady Nagant who's after me. She might target them too as they get closer. For now, I should retreat like I like I was told to. And then Lady Nagant's like, "Don't go thinking you've got any options." As like this, you get this freaking cool double page spread. Of this bullet like whipping around the side of a building 
and taking Deku off. And he's saying, a howitzer shot is nothing compared to this. As she's firing another one. Sure, I can see why awful one's got his eye on you. And the Deku's like, she, her, she's nuts. Oh, no, no, we hear a voice in this snipe saying, her, she's nuts. If she weren't around, shoot, I'd be Japan's top marksman. And we see, you no, know, like I said, number 25 hero snipe. My homing lets me target anything within 600 meters that I set my peepers on. Works with anything I toss. I can't pick what part of the target I hit. And the hits won't pack much of a wallop, but not too shabby, right? But her, she can pull off what my quirk does with raw skill alone. From three, from three kilometers away, no less. No way I'm competing with that. Her trick of the trade, her bullets. She can craft them into any old shape she wants. When she twists two, those two-tone hairs together like epo epoxy putty, they harden as strong as any ammo out there. Everything from curving round, curving rounds to hollow points, I reckon. She's basically a sniper rifle in human form. Every ranged fighter out there is greener with envy over their right arm of hers. As you learn, her quirk is called Rifle. And so, yeah, so, yeah, we just continue seeing these two going back and forth. Um, You know, as Deku thinks, you know, even Snipe Sensei is jealous of her accuracy. And there's barely any downtime between those shots. Without the force quirk backing me up, I'd already be a goner. But based on the first shot and second shot, I can tell where she's at. I'll take the fight to her. And then she's transforming her arm again as we see overall overhaul. Sitting up to the side talking about the boss. Gotta get back to the boss quick. And flashing back to when she grabbed overhaul out of the prison. Saying, maybe I should have dissed you after all. And we see all for one approach them saying, ah, oh, the treacherous hero, the lady, the lovely lady, Nagant. What an honor to meet you. And she's like, all for one. There was a time when you were my target. And then all for one is like, I have a specific request for you, unlike those others. In the days to come, I expect a certain UA student will leave school and operate solo. Pretty good foresight for all for one. <laughs> But he tells her that he wants her to capture him. And so she's like, why the heck should I? And then we get a little bit more backstory on her of like, you know, you're helping those. Uh, or saying you killed a, awful one says you killed a fellow hero. Now you seek the downfall of hero society. But your dream would never be realized as long as that boy is around. And then she's like another one clinging to those phony hopes. And... Awful one notices also uh, overhaul there saying, oh, the young Shay Hasaka leader, a friend of yours. And she's like, nah, he's got some screws loose and I thought he might come in handy somehow. Another victim kept down by this wicked hero society as awful one reaches out to her and is like, let us deliver a death blow to those hateful heroes. Consider this a contract between us. Take this as a deposit. And we learned that he gave her a second quirk, a quirk called Airwalk, as she leaps off the building saying, I've got a mission to carry out. So 
she got this freaking airwalk thing. Freaking reminds me of the freaking Sanji from One Piece. <laughs> um, she gonna be doing, man. She's gonna be mobile in the air with this freaking crazy sniper gun thing she has for her arm. So, yeah, this is about to be a crazy. Or continue to be a, because it's already started off crazy, but a crazy fight between Deku and her. And I definitely cannot wait to learn more on her backstory. Like, who was the hero she killed? And what was the point that made her turn? Because we know, you know, like I said, we learned that, you know, she was Hawk's uh, senior within the Hero Commission. And so it's like, what exactly led her to that? And definitely makes me wonder like okay is she going to end up you know working with stain or what that potential relationship is going to be if you no know, she kind of has similar ideals to stain but yeah like i said just freaking cool getting to finally learn a bit more about her so lady nagant cool panels cool looking design freaking shape-shifting gun arm yeah so much good stuff but can't wait for freaking next week to see how where this stuff goes. Alright, so we first move on to freaking Mashal. <laughs> so like we like so like last chapter, the organization Innocent Zero showed up at the end of Mashal's last match. And so yeah, we kick it right back off with a uh, chapter sixty two titled mash bernadette and the great danger so i had this shadowy figure saying greetings to you all as he cast a spell to where basically freaking stops time like everybody in the whole freaking stadium is just frozen in place including mash and so we hear the voice continue i looked for you mash bernadette you are so beautiful I didn't think I'd find you alive. The despair I felt um, when I thought I lost you, my dear sweet son. So one of these head figures, if not the head figure of this Innocent Zero organization, apparently is Mash's dad. His real, his biological dad. So yeah, so we continue this person saying, once I've absorbed you, I'll be complete. Let us go. As we hear a voice say stop. And it's the uh, basically like the head of the school. Um, Wahlberg. I will not simply hand him over innocent zero. As one of the goons pops up and is like. The old man doesn't bat an eye at dark magic capable of stopping time. But we were already prepared for you Wahlberg. And then the next panel is just a freaking giant axe just coming down. Chopping him in half. But it was an illusion. But the dude was freaked out. He's like, what was that? The extent of his rage. As Wahlberg is like, ho, ho, ho. If that scares you, then back off, you insignificant speck. And then um, I'll just say Mash's dad says, don't treat my dear ally so harshly, Wahlberg. You'll make me sad. Wahlberg is like, what is your true goal? My goal? I only wish to become the perfect human, undying, forever beautiful, powerful, that's all I want. What banal goals? You would sacrifice countless lives for that, 
stealing magic, power, causing suffering, and even killing? Where's the problem in that? I don't see why it's so hard to understand, Wahlberg. My family ex exists for my sake. Mash Bernadette is no different. He exists for me. He's mine. So I'm taking him home. Ho, ho, ho. It would seem we're destined to be opposed. Mash Bernadette will become this world's beacon of hope. I will, if you wish to take him, you must get past me first. And then the other person is like, it's been decades since we last crossed wands. And they both do these freaking crazy summoning spells. As Wahlberg says, summon Uranus, god of the sky. And the other person is like, summon Kronos, god of time. So we have these freaking two top-notch magicians, sorcerers, whatever they called, I forgot. Freaking about to clash. So, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, yeah, stuff is like kicking up a whole other notch. Like, yeah, who is this freaking character? This, you know, coming to be Mash's dad, this whole Innocent Zero squad, and just this freaking confrontation between Wahlberg and this dude. Like, I have a feeling the next chapter is going to be some just like insane action panels or something um cause yeah that that it, it just looks so freaking sick just both of them doing their summoning techniques god of the sky and god of time but um yeah Marshall it's escalating man I'm, I'm, I'm really enjoying the series you know it has this funny moments but it's like hey stuff is getting a bit serious for a moment so yeah, let's see where, where Mashal leads us. So freaking <laughs> Undead Unluck. I just caught up. I haven't read Undead Unluck. It's so freaking long. Read chapters 58 to 63. It's been freaking months. And this series is always kind of like, there are some bits where it's easy to talk about. Some bits is like very confusing. This was definitely one of those. So I'm not even going to try to go through all the names and everything, but Man, this fight against Shen's former master, Untruth's former master, um, we basically just get to learn more backstory on him and, you know, how, you know, when he was younger, you know, he was training to be, to do martial arts. And so he made a deal with his master of, you know, basically if his master helps his sister get into school, give Shen a place to stay and give him three meals a day you know, he'll train to be the best. Because um, basically, I guess the goal was to train Shin to be strong enough to take down the master. Well, there was an incident where basically Shin was put up against his sister to fight, and his sister ended up dying at the moment when, I guess, his, his ability activated, his untruth ability activated, and his sister died. And so he's kind of been on a... On a journey of vengeance for many years to basically get stronger to eventually fight his former master well his former master shows up and i do like the artifact he had his freaking beads that he could basically put undead souls or undead people 
into the bees and he can control them. So that, that shit was kind of pretty cool. But, but yeah, overall, just like seeing the fighting and like how freaking strong that dude's master is. And then basically Andy and Unluck and everybody just kind of coming together and being like, hey, dude, I know you're on the path of vengeance right now, but take a second and think. What's more important? Is it just beating him or is it protecting, you know, the two girls? And so it's like they choose to protect them. And so the master does this freaking crazy, like, fire dragon pole beam attack thing or something. And so basically Andy, undead, and Shin, untruth, end up standing back to back to block the attack from hitting the girls, and so of course, no, hey, it goes through Andy, ain't no big deal, he's undead, so he'll just re regenerate, but freaking Shin, that stuff goes right through him, and so he, you know, starts drifting off into the afterlife, and he sees his sister, and, you know, of course, you no, know, she thanks him for everything, and says that, you know, it's not his fault, yada, 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 and that he's, you know, he can't die yet, because he has something he still needs to protect, and so he comes back too, but it's like, I don't know how they can fix this one. <laughs> you know, it's like, dude has a freaking hole in his damn chest. So I don't know how that's going to go, but these handful of chapters was freaking wild to read. And so I'm definitely uh, very interested and excited to see, you know, where, where things go next from here. Um... Cause yeah, that's some like I said, some crazy and some wild stuff. But yeah, that's Sunday don't look for you though. But um, yeah, I, I don't, <laughs> I don't even know. Um, so after freaking three weeks of being off, we finally got some more Jujutsu Kaisen manga to go through and so we're back with Jujutsu Kaisen manga chapter 148 titled Perfect Preparation and so pretty much this chapter was kind of more or less following Maki and a lot of the Zenin clan stuff and so yeah it's it's just a lot I'm, like some man just didn't like with their clan, their family, different politics surrounding them and all that stuff. Um, but, whoops, huh? But, um, but yeah. So, yeah, so Maki going up to, uh, I can't remember the dude's name, but basically Maki is heading towards mm -hmm. the weapon chamber the Zen and Weapon Chamber, and we kind of get a little brief flashback to where basically Fushigoro gave her the okay to do it, because, you know, after, after everything that happened, you know, Fushigoro, Megumi, kind of became the head of the family, and so she's heading down to the chamber where the weapons are, and we see a lady stopping her, like, Maki, come back here, have you forgotten we may not enter the cursed warehouse. And so she's twirling, Maki's twirling the keys and is like, 
you know, the head and the clan head says it'll be, it's all right. And so, you know, we kind of get a flashback to where basically Maki and uh, Fushiguro was talking and he more or less is like, you know, no, thank you. <laughs> it's too much hassle. It's too much of a hassle. Um, basically, you know, him taking over and stuff. And he's like, you know, um, Maki is basically just telling him, like, you know, Nobito said he'd leave the entire Zen and fortune to you, Megumi. That means money, curse tools, and you receive information about the big three families in Jujutsu headquarters. Um, the way we operate from now on is going to drastically change. And then that's when Megumi was like, <laughs> then you do it. And so, you know, she's like, you know, no one would accept me or follow me the way I am now. You've inherited the family curse technique and learned a domain and Gojo favored you. So all, so it all stacks up to you being good enough, barely. And then Fushiguro is like, but stuff like acceptance, what people think of the Zenin clan doesn't matter, does it? You'll get all those benefits you mentioned just by becoming the clan head. And then Maki's like, I'm still not good enough. As she kind of has a flashback. And then, you know, she's still walking past her mother at, or the lady in the hallway that we find out later is her mother. And then the lady stops her and is like, I said, come back here. Why are you always like this? For once, make me glad I gave birth to you, Maki. That's some savage stuff coming from your own freaking mother. But as she opens up the door to the to the warehouse and her freaking dad is in there waiting for her. And he greets her with, there are no curse tools here, Maki. I anticipated what you all would do and emptied it. And then her twin sister, Mai, is laying on the ground behind their father. And she's like, no, why did you come, you idiot? And... We switch over to some other heads of the clan talking about basically their plan to, you know, take out Maki them. Because one of the heads is like, you know, a good number are backing him for this chance to repair relations with the Gojo clan. Um, talking about Fushigoro and said, but we too cannot accept leaving the entire fortune to Megumi. And then, what's his name? I think his name was Naoto. If I remember correctly, I think it was Naobito. But um, but basically, just asking, like, why are they dragging their feet? And the, this other dude continues, you know, because Megumi is building a good relationship with uh, Kamo, the next leader of the Kamo clan, and not just the Gojo clan. Getting rid of him without a reason will only hurt the Zenin clan standing. Then we would fall behind in the shifting power struggle that makes that comes about ever since Gojo got sealed. And, you know, they kind of go over the second, the new second rule again about, you know, Gojo being, Gojo has been deemed an accomplice in the, in the Shibuya incident and is thus permanently exiled from the, from the Jujutsu world. Furthermore, removing his seal will be considered a criminal act. And so we 
you know, get the guy still talking as Maki is going to freaking encounter her father. You know, as they say, we must execute uh, Megumi, Maki, and Mai as Rebels plotting to free Gojo. And, uh, I think it's Nabito saying killing one's own daughter would boost credibility. And the guy's like, yes, even better. It would also strengthen the trust Jujutsu headquarters has in him. And freaking Maki's father gets stanced up, saying secret art, falling blossom emotion. And we get some explanation of this technique is the domain countermeasure falling blossom changes when used in a sword standoff. It covers itself in cursed energy to attack anything it comes into contact with. Mai was spared as a bargaining chip in case of an emergency and to combat any unknown cursed tools in Maki's possession. Aware of the contingencies at play, Ogi, Maki's dad, uh, planned to unleash a single mighty blow. And then we get freaking this badass panel of just freaking Maki with this badass looking blade. Oh. Uh, and she, she just looks so freaking badass with just freaking all these damn scars and shit all up and down both of her arms and stuff. Um, but yeah, so we learned that Maki wills Juzu Kumiya's masterpiece, the cursed tool known as Dragon Bone. It accumulates force, force and cursed energy and ejects them out the back of the blade in accordance with the user's will. And then Maki's thinking, I'll take advantage of the fact that he's unfamiliar with the curse to his ability and feign entering a single strike duel while intending to strike a second or third time. And so, yeah, we have the moment where they both go to clash as Maki asks, is becoming, is it because you're a bastard willing to kill your children? And he does a attack on Maki she cuts off his, she slices his blade in half but he still hits her with an attack and we learn it's because even though the sword was cut there's still like this freaking like lightsaber energy blade thing coming out of the sword and then and then her dad is like you know why couldn't I become clan head is that because my children are worthless? As we see Maki fall to her knees as the chapter falls or the chapter ends. But I definitely know, you know, that's definitely not the end of Maki. But this whole fight and confrontation with just them two freaking stanced up. Maki with the damn blade looking freaking badass. It was, yeah, this shit just looks so freaking clean. But, um, yeah, glad to have Jujutsu Kaisen back. In the rotation weekly, and very excited to see more of this uh, fight with Maki and her dad continue. All right, so I think I'm gonna wrap it up for this week. Um, yeah, I covered several chapters and some more stuff I could do, but I think I'm just gonna call it a show there. Um, cause I want to at least try to maybe hopefully get a little bit of Mass Effect in. Because um, I picked up Mass Effect Legendary Collection the other day. So hopefully I can get in at least a little bit of playtime with that. And 
also still want to eventually watch that, uh, I think it's that Mitchell versus the Machines or whatever movie that was. And then at some point in the coming weeks, uh, the new season of Castlevania came out. But I still haven't even watched season three, so I have two seasons of that to watch. So, but anywho, yeah, it's just always something to read, watch, do. Plenty of content and stuff to always consume. But, um, but yeah, as always, thank y'all for tuning in as usual. Um, you can follow me on Twitter. The podcast can be found at Dad Needs to Talk. Uh, my personal Twitter is at MastermindRob7. Um, also check out my Danny the website for the podcast at DadNeedsToTalk.com. Um, still have some stuff I want to eventually maybe do a pair with on that website eventually, but we'll we'll get there in due time. I'm trying to you know kind of slow down and pace myself accordingly because like I said I've been kind of pumping out a lot of stuff and you know get a little tiring but I love doing it but I also like to need to make sure I'm pacing myself accordingly and not burning myself out but um but yeah like I said just to be on the lookout in the coming days for the uh 20th Century Boys volume 2 read through that I that I have going out Wednesday um I was also on the my hero academia podcast again this week so look out for that as well and yeah who knows what other adventures and stuff i might get into um in the coming days and weeks ahead but uh yeah hope you guys have a good week and get to have a little fun along the way that's gonna do it and so y'all be easy and i'll catch you guys in the next one bye peace